Yes, this might be any city of the Deep South going about its daily business. But there is something different about it now, especially here in the heart of the city. What's different? The buses are empty. Why? Because the Negro people aren't riding them. Because one woman, a seamstress, tired after a hard day's work, got fed up with her 40 years of living under Jim Crow. Because one woman said, I have had enough. And suddenly, just like that, 50,000 voices answered, Amen, sister, enough for us too. For refusing to give up her seat to a white man, she was arrested and fined. And the Negro people of Montgomery have refused to ride the buses ever since. They walked instead. They rode in cars, their own cars, instead of anyone who would give them a lift. The buses waited still and lonely in their silent rows, or rode empty through the streets. They were threatened and intimidated, arrested, convicted, and fined, and still they walked. In the rain and the sun and the dark of night, they walked with God and shunned the buses. They walked with God and they rode with God too, for they formed a carpool that was a marvel of quick organization. A network of cars, old and new, of trucks and taxis, reached out across the city and carried people where they wanted to go. It started as a one-day protest, nothing more but it grew until it rocked the cradle of the Confederacy and told the world a story of Negro people united for action without bitterness, without malice, without fear. It began with the buses in Montgomery, but so much more is at stake now, for this is a part of a struggle going on around the world, for the right to enjoy decent homes like anyone else, to work at better jobs for higher pay, and the right to live longer, too. The right to an equal place, in the family of man. Welcome to this week's episode of Dead America. I'm Ed Waters, your host, and this week, since it's Black History Month, we're going to start the month off with an individual that had her birthday yesterday, February 4th. She was born February 4th, 1913, and died October 24th, 2005. She was an American activist and a staunch advocate in the civil rights movement. She is best known for her pivotal role in the Montgomery bus boycott. Let's not waste any time and climb into this week's episode of Dead America about Rosa Parks. Before we get started with today's episode... I want to give a shout out to an excellent company. This company creates stickers for all of your sticker needs. You can find them at stickermule.com. This company is excellent. I found them over on Twitter and they were giving a sample of stickers, 10 for a dollar. So I said, what the heck? I'm gonna get some Dead America stickers. I was just overtaken with the quality of these stickers and the price of the stickers very reasonable. This company, the reason I really enjoy them is because of their community involvement. These people are out to spread love. 
StickerMule.com. It's a fabulous place to get all of your sticker needs and a lot more. Coasters, even mule sauce, a tremendous hot, hot sauce. You better check out Sticker Mule at StickerMule.com. That way you get to see what your artwork looks like on these stickers in various forms comes on very durable vinyl. This is UV resistant material and I've had the sticker on my car for a while now and it is holding up excellent. They don't come off and the color will not fade on these stickers. Awesome company. Find them over at Twitter also at Sticker Mule. These people give away free products all the time just so you the consumer get a fair shot at a good deal. I highly recommend Sticker Mule. This is not a paid advertisement. This is because I am highly satisfied with the product and customer service. They send a proof almost immediately. They say within four hours. I think it's a lot quicker than four hours. Go check out Sticker Mule, stickermule.com. And hey, for those free giveaways, go over to Twitter, find at Sticker Mule, and follow them. Get involved. They do wonderful things for the community. On December 1st, 1955, in Montgomery, Alabama, Parks rejected bus driver James F. Blake's order to relinquish her seat in the colored section to a white passenger after the whites only section was filled up. Parks was not the first person to resist bus segregation, but the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, well known as NAACP, believed that she was the best candidate for seeing through a court challenge. After her arrest for civil disobedience in violating Alabama segregation laws, Park's prominence in the community and her willingness to become a controversial figure inspired the black community to boycott the Montgomery buses for over a year. The first major direct action campaign of the post-war civil rights movement. Her case became bogged down in the state's courts, but the federal Montgomery bus lawsuit, Browder v. Gale, succeeded in November 1956. Parks Act of defiance in the Montgomery bus boycott became important symbol of the movement. She became an international icon of resistance to a radical segregation. She organized and collaborated with civil rights leaders including Edgar Nixon, president of the local chapter of the NAACP and the great Martin Luther King Jr., a new minister in Montgomery who gained national prominence in the civil rights movement and went on to win a Nobel Peace Prize. At the time, Parks was secretary of the Montgomery chapter of the NAACP. 
She had recently attended the Highlander Folk School, a Tennessee center for training activists for workers' rights and racial equality. She acted as a private citizen, tired of giving in. Although widely honored in later years, she also suffered for her act. She was fired from her job as a seamstress in a local department store and received death threats for years afterwards. Shortly after the boycott, she moved to Detroit, where she briefly found similar work. From 1965 to 1988, she served as secretary and receptionist to John Conyers, an African-American U.S. representative. She was also active in the Black Power Movement and the support of political prisoners in the U.S. After retirement, Parks wrote her autobiography and continued to insist that the struggle for justice was not over and there was more work to be done. In her final years, she suffered from dementia. Parks received national recognition, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the Congressional Gold Medal, and a posthumous statue in the United States Capitol's National Statuary Hall. Upon her death in 2005, she was the first woman to lay in honor at the Capitol Rotunda, becoming the third of only four Americans to ever receive this honor. California and Missouri commemorate Rosa Parks Day on her birthday, February 4th, while Ohio and Oregon commemorate the occasion on the anniversary of the day she was arrested, December 1st. In her early life, Rosa Parks was born Rosa Louise McCauley in Tuskegee, Alabama on February 4th, 1913 to Leona Nee Edwards, a teacher, and James McCauley, a carpenter. In addition to African ancestry, one of Park's great-grandfathers was Scots-Irish and one of her great-grandmothers, a part Native American slave. She was small as a child and suffered poor health with chronic tonsillitis. When her parents separated, she moved with her mother to Pine Level, just outside the state capital, Montgomery. She grew up on a farm with her maternal grandparents, mother, and younger brother, Sylvester. They all were members of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the AME, a century-old independent black denomination founded by free blacks in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the early 19th century. Macaulay attended rural schools until the age of 11. As a student at the Industrial School for Girls in Montgomery, she took academic and vocational courses. Parks went on to a laboratory school set up by the Alabama State Teachers College for Negroes for secondary education. 
but dropped out in order to care for her grandmother and later her mother after they became ill. Parks recalled going to elementary school in Pine Level, where the school buses took white students to their new school and black students had to walk to theirs. I'd see the bus pass every day, but to me, that was a way of life. We had no choice but to accept what was the custom. The bus was among the first ways I realized there was a black world and a white world. Although Park's autobiography recounts early memories of the kindness of white strangers, she could not ignore the racism of her society. When the Ku Klux Klan marched down the street in front of their house, Parks recalled her grandfather guarding the front door with a shotgun. The Montgomery Industrial School, founded and staffed by white northerners for black children, was burned twice by arsonists. Its facility was ostracized by the white community. Reportedly bullied by white children in her neighborhood, Parks often fought back physically. She later said, As far back as I remember, I could never think in terms of accepting physical abuse without some form of retaliation if possible. In 1932, Rosa married Raymond Parks, a barber from Montgomery. He was a member of the NAACP, which at the time was collecting money to support the defense of the Scottsboro Boys, a group of black men falsely accused of raping two white women. Rosa took numerous jobs, ranging from domestic worker to hospital aid. At her husband's urging, she finished high school studies in 1933, at a time when less than 7% of African Americans had a high school diploma. In December 1943, Parks became active in the Civil Rights Movement joined the Montgomery chapter of the NAACP and was elected secretary at a time when this was considered a woman's job. She later said, I was the only woman there and they needed a secretary and I was too timid to say no. She continued as secretary until 1957. She worked for the local NAACP leader Edgar Nixon, even though he maintained that women don't need to be nowhere but in the kitchen. When Parks asked, well, what about me? He replied, I need a secretary and you are a good one. In 1944, in her capacity as secretary, she investigated the gang rape of Racy Taylor, a black woman from Abbeville, Alabama. Parks and other civil rights activists organized the Committee for Equal Justice for Mrs. Racy Taylor launching what the Chicago Defender called 
the strongest campaign for equal justice to be seen in a decade. In 1900, Montgomery had passed a city ordinance to segregate bus passengers by race. Conductors were empowered to assign seats to achieve that goal. According to the law, no passenger would be required to move or give up their seat and stand if the bus was crowded and no other seats were available. Over time and by custom, however, Montgomery bus drivers adopted the practice of requiring black riders to move when there were no white-only seats left. The first four rows of seats on each Montgomery bus were reserved for whites. Buses had colored sections for black people generally in the rear of the bus. Although blacks composed more than 75% of the ridership, the sections were not fixed but were determined by placement of a movable sign Black people could set in the middle rows until the white section filled. If more whites needed seats, blacks were to move to the seats in the rear, stand, or, if there was no room, leave the bus. Black people could not set across the aisle in the same row as white people. The driver could move the colored section sign or remove it altogether. If white people were already setting in the front of the bus, black people had to board at the front to pay the fare, then disembark and re-enter through the rear door. For years, the black community had complained that the situation was unfair. Parks said, My resisting being mistreated on the bus did not begin with that particular arrest. I did a lot of walking in Montgomery. One day in 1943, Parks boarded a bus and paid the fare. She then moved to her seat, but driver James F. Blake told her to follow city rules and enter the bus again from the back door. When Parks exited the vehicle, Blake drove off without her. Parks waited for the next bus, determined never to ride with Blake again. Then came that fateful day, the refusal to move. After working all day, Parks boarded the Cleveland Avenue bus, a General Motors old look bus belonging to the Montgomery City Liners. Around 6 p.m. on Thursday, December 1st, 1955 in downtown Montgomery. She paid her fare and sat in an empty seat in the first row of back seats reserved for blacks in the colored section. Near the middle of the bus, her row was directly behind the 10 seats reserved for white passengers. Initially, she did not notice that the bus driver was the same man James F. Blake, who had left her in the rain in 1943. As the bus traveled along its regular route, 
All of the white-only seats in the bus filled up. The bus reached the third stop in front of the Empire Theater. The several white passengers boarded. Blake noted that two or three white passengers were standing as the front of the bus had filled to capacity. He moved the colored section sign behind parks and demanded that four black people give up their seats in the middle section so that the white passengers could set. Years later, in recalling the event of the day, Parks said, when that white driver stepped back towards us, when he waved his hand and ordered us up and out of our seats, I felt a determination cover my body like a quilt on a winter night. By Parks' account, Blake said, y'all better make it light on yourselves and let me have those seats. Three of them complied. Parks said, the driver wanted us to stand up, the four of us. We didn't move at the beginning, but he said, let me have these seats. And the other three people moved, but I didn't. The black man sitting next to her gave up his seat. Parks moved, but towards the window seat. She did not get up to move to the reassigned, redesignated colored section. Parks later said about being asked to move to the rear of the bus. I thought of Emmett Till and I just couldn't go back. Blake said, why don't you stand up? Parks responded, I don't think I should have to stand up. Blake called the police to arrest Parks. When recalling the incident for Eyes on the Prize, a 1987 public television series on the civil rights movement, Parks said, when he saw me still setting, he asked if I was going to stand up. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, well, if you don't stand up, I'm going to have to call the police and have you arrested. I said, you may do that. During a 1956 radio interview with Sidney Rogers in West Oakland, several months after her arrest, Parks said she had decided I would have to know for once and for all what rights I had as a human being and a citizen. On the day of Parks' trial, December 5, 1955, the WPC distributed the 35,000 leaflets. The handbill read, We are asking every Negro to stay off the buses Monday in protest of the arrest and trial. You can afford to stay out of school for one day if you work take a cab or walk, but please, children and grown-ups, don't ride the bus at all on Monday. Please stay off the buses Monday. It rained that day, but the black community, preserved in their boycott, some rode in carpools, 
while others traveled in black operated cabs that charged the same fare as the bus, 10 cents. Most of the remainder of the 40,000 black commuters walked, some as far as 20 miles. That evening, after the success of the one-day boycott, a group of 16 to 18 people gathered at the Mount Zion AME Zion Church to discuss boycott strategies. At that time, Parks was introduced but not asked to speak, despite a standing ovation and calls for the crowd for her to speak. When she asked if she should say something, the reply was, Why? You've said enough. That Monday night, 50 leaders of the African American community gathered to discuss action to respond to Park's arrest. Edgar Nixon, the president of the NAACP, said, My God, look what segregation has put in my hands. Parks was considered the ideal plaintiff for a test case against city and state segregation laws as she was seen as a responsible, mature woman with a good reputation. She was securely married and employed, was regarded as possessing a quiet and dignified demeanor, and was politically savvy. King said that Parks was regarded as, quote, one of the finest citizens of Montgomery, not one of the finest Negro citizens, but one of the finest citizens of Montgomery." Unquote. Park's court case was being slowed down in appeals through the Alabama courts. On their way to a federal appeal and the process could have taken years. Holding together a boycott for that length of time would have been a great strain. In the end, black residents of Montgomery continued the boycott for 381 days. Dozens of public buses stood idle for months, severely damaging the bus transit company's finances until the city repealed its law requiring segregation on the public buses following the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in Browder v. Gale that it was unconstitutional. Parks was not included as a plaintiff in the Browder decision because the attorney Fred Gray concluded the courts would perceive they were attempting to circumvent her prosecution on her charges working their way through the Alabama state system. Parks played an important part in raising international awareness of the plight for African Americans and the civil rights struggle. As you can see, Rosa Parks did things the right way. When you are not happy with how things are going, this 
is a prime example of how you organize a resistance. We don't need violent resistance. What we need is more boycotts. Thank you, Rosa Parks, for inspiring millions and millions of people. I hope you found this episode exciting. If so, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right here next week for another exciting episode of Dead America. Ed Waters, out.